All right, well, grab your Bibles. I'm super excited. We can start the book of Acts today and uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to do a little intro, kind of we'll dive in in earnest next week. But as you're turning there, um, how many of you know what happened on June 29th, 2007? Um, I don't see any hands. Uh, let me give you a hint. It changed the world. And I'll give you another hint. How many of you are carrying with you right now a smartphone? Come on, raise your hands, like most of you, like probably all of you, right? June 29, 2007 is the day the first iPhone shipped. And those of you who are like BlackBerry users like me way back in the day, you're like, hey, wait a minute. You know, smartphones before, before iPhone. But hey, I think we all have to admit that something shifted. I mean, something tectonic shifted on June 29, 2007, when that first iPhone shipped. Steve Jobs, in fact, said the iPhone is a revolutionary mobile phone and a breakthrough in communication devices. And I don't think he was exaggerating. So that today, three-quarters of Americans hold smartphones with them like their dearest child, right? We, it goes everywhere. With, we use it for everything. Some of you are going to need your smartphone to get home today right? You use it for school. You use it for work. You use it for entertainment. I mean, you walk into a room and everybody's head is down. Some of you are using it right now and it has nothing to do with the sermon. Others of you are looking at your Bibles, right? It is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It is an absolute cultural phenomenon and it has changed our world. Now, we can argue whether that's been a good or bad thing. Like we need to have, some of you have heard the studies, like the iPhone is actually rewiring our brains or smartphones, right? They're doing things to us that we don't quite fully understand. What we can't argue with is that it changed the world. It has been a cultural phenomenon. It has this, it has created this tectonic shift in how we relate to other people and, and screens and all these kinds of things. Now, that has happened in the history of our world many times, right? We could go back to the inventing of, mention of the printing press and different things like that where, where things have come along, whether it be technology or ideas, the Reformation that we celebrated 500 years uh, of the Reformation last year. I mean, all of these things that had this radical impact on the world. And if you were to ask the you know, the man on the street or even one of you, you know, hey, describe to me, like, what is Christianity? I doubt you would hear things like world-changing, tectonic shift, cultural phenomenon. Right? You, you probably, now why? Why wouldn't you hear that? Well, because people kind of think, well, gosh, 2,000 years of, of human history would make me not think that. Like, you ask somebody, well, yeah, yeah, there's Christians and there's churches and they're all over and they're all over the United States and I don't really think of them in terms of that. I mean, I've, I guess I've been living with this so long, it just sort of feels like the air that we breathe. And so I look at Christians and I look at churches and there are people trying to do good things. They're trying to be good neighbors. They're trying to be moral. They're trying to be upright citizens. Whatever it is, whatever the conception that we have of Christianity. And here's what I would submit to you. How do we explain, if this is what Christianity is, if it is nothing more than a bunch of people trying to follow rules and be religious and be moral and good neighbors and things like that, how in the world do we explain that Christianity went from literally a handful of people in the first century to a worldwide phenomenon? People just being good neighbors? Seriously? 
just trying to, you know, I'm just trying to be a good husband and wife, and this is what was so radically transforming in the first century. Now, something else happened. So so how do we understand this? To to understand Christianity, I'm not sure that we can just look around us today. We got to go back. We got to go back to the beginning and find out what went on. What can explain this? And this is what the book of Acts is going to do for us. The book of Acts is going to take us back and it's going to show us historically how it is that this thing went from this little tiny band, this sort of insulated, not sure, scared, all this sort of stuff happening to what it has become today so that, so that there is hardly a, a place in the world that has not heard the name Jesus Christ. Like, see, see, I mean, think of this. How do do we we conceive that there was a time in human history where you could walk up to somebody and say the name Jesus Christ and they would have absolutely no idea what you were talking about? We wear crosses around our neck. What if we could go back to a time in history where people would go, what in the world are you wearing? What is that? What's this crucifixion? That's horrible where resurrection was laughable, and yet so many of these things, Jesus Christ, resurrection, crucifixion, all these things have become kind of like white noise in our world. So what explains this? See, if we rewind the clock and we go back, we can look at historically, and this is what the book of Acts does for us. But lest you think that we're going to spend the next several months just looking at a historical document and what this provides is some interesting history, it's not just history. Acts provides us a way forward. Yes, Acts shows us some remarkable things that happened in the early church. But it's going to show us how it is that this little tribe became this worldwide phenomenon that we know today. So I want to, I want to look at this. So, so today, here's what we're going to do. Today's just an intro. Okay, all, all I want to do is kind of orient you. And you know what I hope coming out of this? I hope I give you enough information that you want to go back and read the book of Acts. You want to see these themes start to emerge. Because some of you are like, I don't know how to read my Bible. I don't know what to do. I want to help you with that today. I want to help you see some things. I want to give you some handles to grab on, some things to be looking for as you walk through this book. But I hope also to challenge you personally and see, man, this thing has real life impact for you, for me, and for us as a church. Okay? So the book of Acts. The book of Acts is written by a guy named Luke. And Luke wrote both the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. And these were actually, you might consider them companion pieces. It was a a two-volume work. And and back in those days, you didn't have paper, you had vellum. It was on a scroll, and every scroll was about the same length. And so you knew you had this much space to write on. It wasn't like I got unlimited reams of paper, right? The first volume is 10 pages. The next volume is 420. It's not like that. You write about the same. So this is what Luke did. If you look at Luke and Acts, they're about the same length. So he had to choose. He had to pick. He had to, this is what the story I want to tell. And he writes it to a guy named Theophilus. Theophilus means lover of God. And we don't know who Theophilus was, but it's pretty, pretty good reason to believe that Theophilus was probably A, wealthy, uh, and, and B, probably a new Christian, or at least certainly exploring Christianity, and probably had asked Luke the question, Luke, I'll pay you to do some research for me. Luke's a doctor. You go and you research this 
phenomenon that I am now seeing in our world today called Christianity. I want to know where it came from, and I want to know what it's about. And so Luke sits down and goes, okay, I'm going to go do all the research, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to write this two-volume set, Luke and Acts. And this is what we get today. Now, if we were to sit down with Luke and say, Luke, help us. How is it, Luke, that Christianity went from 12 apostles, one of them kills himself, they add another one. How is it that it goes from that group to billions of adherents that are on every continent worldwide? And I think I know what Luke would tell you. I think he'd say, look at the words of Jesus. Jesus gives us three things And if these things were true then, they're true now. So if we said, Luke, what could we do? How in the world will God, will will we see our world turned upside down the way that Acts talks about it? Our world impacted us reaching people with the gospel. How's that going to happen in our day? And I think Luke would say the same three things. What was true then must be true now. And so let me show you these, okay? So we're not going to, I think your, your notes say that this is going to be, I'm going to be preaching on verses 1 through 11. I'm actually going to do all of that next week, but I really want you to just focus in on one verse. But let me give you a little bit of context, okay? So, so start with me in verse 4. And while staying with them, this is uh, Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, right? This is the capital of where all the Jews are, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? And look at how Jesus responds. He said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, I think within that verse 8, and that's all I want to look at today, in that verse 8 is the key to the book of Acts and the key to why it exploded and the key for us today. There are three things that Luke tells us that if these things, this is, what, this is what explains it. This is why it happened, and this is how it can happen again today. And that's all I want to look at, okay? And then talk to you about how that's going to relate to us. So the first thing, you'd say, Luke, what is it? How did, he, how did this happen? He'd look at Jesus' words in verse 8, and he'd say, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, this is exactly what happens. You'll begin to read the book of Acts, and you'll see that in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God falls upon them. They speak in other tongues. It's this wild moment, like what's happening there, but they're empowered by the Spirit, and then everything changes. So, so different, right? I mean, what they were before and what they were after is not the same people. There's some interesting things we got to think about that. But one of the things you're going to see in the book of Luke is the centrality of the Spirit of God. In other words, Jesus is going to say, I've got, I've got a mission for you. There's something I want you to accomplish, but you will not accomplish it apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Not possible to do what I'm about to tell you that you're going to do. 
You're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. So then the power falls. Then the Spirit of God falls upon them. And one of the things I want you to notice as you read, notice a couple things. First of all, notice how often the word Holy Spirit or the Spirit is used over 50 times in one book. That ought to tell you something. In fact, some scholars believe that this book ought to be titled not the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit. That God is doing something really, really powerful, right? And he's doing it through the Holy Spirit. But I want you to notice something else. Notice how different they are. Notice they go from, if you were to sort of back up into the final few chapters of Luke and then read the first two chapters into maybe chapter four of Acts, here's what you'll see. You'll see these guys who are timid. You'll see they're fearful. You'll see they're weak. You'll see they're insular. And the Holy Spirit empowers them and their weakness turns to power. Their fear turns into faith and fearlessness. They're now bold. They're now courageous. Their turning in now turns out. Everything changes because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So if we were to say, Luke, how could we see something happen today? I think he'd say, look, there's no hope apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? Like, do you understand that, 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 that it's not going to be by might, right? It's going to be by the power of the Spirit. It's not going to be by programs. It's not going to be by politics. Luke's going to say, in none of that, did it, did it happen because they were rich? Did it happen because they were politically connected? Did any of these ha- it happened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And why do we think that we need something less? We don't need what they had in the first century. And so you'll see it over and over again. Here they are, empowered to do what they could not do with resources they did not have, all because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it look like to be empowered by the Spirit? This is one of the things that Acts is going to show you. Now, let me just say it this way. It looks surprising. And here's what I mean by that. Like some of you, when you think of the power of the Holy Spirit, right, if you grew up like I did, you think charismatic gifts. You think like speaking in tongues and prophecy and visions and dreams. And that's true. That, 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 that's, you're going to see that in the book of Acts. But it's so much more than that. So one of the things you're going to see in the book of Acts is the way that the Spirit empowers His people. And one of the ways He does that is by directing and redirecting and putting up roadblocks and persecution and all these things that He is sovereignly overseeing to get people to go and to do what He's called them to do. God will use adversity. The Spirit of God will compel things by closing doors and opening others. And so you're going to watch, right? You're going to watch a guy like the Apostle Paul. You're going to watch this them as, as they band together and they start doing things like, man, they start deliberating amongst themselves. Well, what should we do? I don't know. What do I do? And they argue and all these things. And then, and then they think and they pray. And then they come up with an answer and say, here's what we're going to do. And they say things like this. It seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit to do whatever it is, right? This is, that's interesting, by the way. It seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit so that one of the things you'll see is how they make decisions. They make them in community. It's not one guy at the top 
saying, here's what you need to do. Jesus can do that. We can't do that. And so they make these decisions together, and they, they believe that when they come to a consensus together, that must be the Holy Spirit speaking. And yet, and yet, here's what's fascinating. They keep their hands open and go, God, you might redirect this decision that we made. You might change our trajectory a little bit. That's just fascinating to me. So you'll see Paul. Paul's going to say in his letters, Paul, you're going to see him in, 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 in the book of, uh, of Acts. You're going to see him. He has this eagerness. He so desperately wants to go to Rome. Like, because Rome is the cultural center of the world at the time. Like, I want to get there. I want to impact that culture because that's, de- that's upstream from everything else in the Roman Empire. So I want to get there. I want to preach the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1. Right? I'm so eager, and yet he says in Romans 1, so far I've been prevented. I, I can't seem to get there. What's happening? The Spirit of God is prevented. In fact, he says, he says at one point in the book of Acts, we decided to go to Mysia, which is this area in Asia Minor, Turkey, kind of that area. But he says, we were prevented by the Holy Spirit. Now think through that with me. This means that Paul goes, guys, I I think I know what we're going to do. We've thought, we've prayed, we've decided, we're going to go there. And this is our strategy. We're going to go to this place. I really feel like this is the Lord's leading. So he gets up and he starts running towards Mysia only to have something, I, we don't even know what it was, prevent him. You can't go. Something's going to stop you in your tracks. See, 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 Paul was more committed to the leading and obedience to the Holy Spirit than he was to his own agenda. And this is what we see. They were empowered by the Spirit. Are you? Have you ever prayed like that? See, how often do we lean on just, well, I just I read my Bible, I go to church, I kind of hang out and I do a growth group? And how often are we so hungry to say, God, I can't do, I cannot reach my neighbor, I can't reach my family, I can't reach these people in close proximity, I want to reach the world, I want to do something for you, and I can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. God's going to put them and he will put you in a place of utter desperation where you're finally looking up and saying, God, I can't do what you've called me to do. Please, please give me your spirit. I'm desperate for it. And this is what happens in the book book of Acts. See, why are we so powerless in our Christian lives? Why do we feel so weak? Why do we feel unable to speak to other people about Jesus? Why why do we feel so ineffectual? Because we need the power of the Spirit. No less than they do. Luke would say, I'll tell you, first of all, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. But then why were they empowered? So Luke's going to say, look, here's the second thing. Not only were they empowered by the Holy Spirit, they were empowered as witnesses to Jesus. You see what he says there in verse 8? He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. There it is. So now I'm going to give you power, but it is not power that terminates on itself. It's not power that stops because you can say, man, I got the power of the Spirit. It is power with a purpose. And it's the power to witness to Jesus. Now look at 
many people in this room, myself included, grew up in a denomination that taught us that the way you know that you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit is that you manifest some sort of miraculous speech, whether it's tongues or prophecy or something like that. That is not what the book of Acts says. The book of Acts says you'll know you have power when you start witnessing to Jesus. And you watch it. You watch every time Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul filled with the Holy Spirit, boom. And what comes out of their mouth? Jesus comes out of their mouth. They talk about Jesus everywhere they go. Now look at this. This is what's fascinating. You'll be witnesses to me. You're going to go and you're going to talk about Jesus. And you're going to do this in Judea. In, in, in Samaria and to the, uh, to, to the end of the earth, right? So, so you're going to be witnesses to me. You're going to talk about Jesus. This is what it is. See, God is not interested in creating a sort of a spiritually elite class of Christians. He's not, it's not like you've got the, the Christian special forces that have certain powers and others that don't. And so you know what I'm talking about, right? If you grew up like I did, there was a sense in which, man, if I didn't have a certain gift of the Spirit, then that was a, that was a different, that was an elevated class of people, and I'm not sure I've broken into that class yet. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, you're going to be witnesses to me. You're going to, this is the purpose behind all this, right? And this, by the way, this word witness is where we get our word martyr. Martyr is actually a Greek word. Martyrios is witness. Now, they didn't think of martyr as we think of martyr, but it became our word martyr because of what happened to almost all of the apostles except perhaps John that they were martyred for their faith. The Holy Spirit was so powerful. They so desired to serve Him. They were so willing, the willingness to go witness to Jesus no matter the cost. I'll die for this. It means everything to me. Listen, you can't, you can't muster that up inside of you. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what's fascinating about this early group, right? You'd think, man... It went from 12 guys, basically, to a worldwide phenomenon. Then, man, there must have been wealth. They must have been really educated. They must have had political power. We could go on and on, and none of those things is true. In fact, just, just flip over, if you want to, to, to Acts chapter 4. And here's a group, this, this, this Sanhedrin, this council of, of these different sects of Judaism, and they're talking. They listen to Peter and John talk and listen, listen to their response. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, verse 13 of chapter 4, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What made the difference with these guys? They didn't hold degrees in philosophy. They weren't biblical scholars. They didn't have a seminary degree. They didn't know apologetics. They knew Jesus. And this is what they talked about. So watch their speeches. Watch when they open their mouths and begin to talk. It is Jesus-saturated. 
Let me tell you about Jesus. Listen to what he said. Listen, we've said this before. There is no gospel apart from Jesus. There's not a gospel which is this sort of message that we preach and Jesus is over here. No, you get the gospel. You get the benefits. You get sanctification. You get justification. You get glorification. You get all of those things because of Jesus and only because of Jesus. See, this is this is the this was what they did. They simply went out, and, and you're going to see in like a very winsome way. Man, we're not here to topple emperors. We are here to tell people that their sins can be forgiven. We're here to tell people that there is a new life, that there is a new creation, that God can do something, and he'll do it through his son, Jesus. We saw him. We looked at him. We knew him. He went in a grave. He came back out of that grave. We watched him walk around for 40 days. He's real. And that message spread like wildfire. See, Christian, let me me tell you you some of my own fears. Why do you and I, why are we so afraid to talk, to witness to Jesus? Well, we think people will make fun of us, right? Like somebody has said that Christians in the West, Christians in the, you know, in the East fear the raised fist. Christians in the West fear the raised eyebrow. Seriously, you believe that? I don't want people thinking that of me. I don't talk because what else? Because I think I have to have all the answers. I think I got to have the seminary degree. I don't, I'm not as educated as you are in the Bible, Chris, so I can't talk to people about Jesus. I think I've, I've got to know apologetics. I've got to have all these. No, you don't. You know what saves people? Do you think your arguments save people? Never. Jesus saves people. And we talk about Jesus. Right? I mean, this is the... This is the man who's healed by Jesus, and he's called before the Pharisees, and they're like, what have you, you know, what, what, tell, tell us what, and this can't possibly happen. Look, I, I don't know what happened. I don't, all I know is I was blind. And now I see because of Jesus. That's what it means. We go out and we witness to people. Listen, what if the only explanation, Foothill Church, for this place? What, what, if, what, if, what if God broke it? What if revival broke out at Foothill Church in our surrounding region? And if the only explanation was, man, they waited on God, He empowered them with the Holy Spirit, and they simply testified to Jesus. It wasn't a light show. It wasn't a fog machine. It wasn't a rocking band. It wasn't a program. It was Jesus. So the one who gets all the glory isn't, man, there must be amazing leadership at Foothill Church who's making really astute decisions. No, it's Jesus. That's it. Because I know those guys, and they're not that smart. (laughs) Right? They were witnesses to Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, Luke would say. But, But the centrality, this was the means. The message was Jesus. And the mission was to the end of the earth. And there's the third part. Luke would say, they were empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses to Jesus to the end of the earth. And so listen, you know what Acts 1-8 is? This this will help you as you read it. Acts 1-8 is an outline of the entire book of Acts. 
So that what you'll see is he'll go, this is what Jesus says. I'm telling you now, guys, you wait here. The Holy Spirit will fall on you. And now this will happen. You will be my witnesses, witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is right where they are. Terry there. I've been to Jerusalem. You can actually go to the upper room where they think around this place is where the apostles met. This original group, about 120 people, met praying, seeking God. God falls on them. There they are in Jerusalem. They begin to speak about it. Persecution comes. They start to get scattered. They get out into Judea, the surrounding area. They finally, they, they inevitably move across geographical and racial boundaries. Now it's outside of ethnic Israel and it's into Gentile tribes. And finally, they end up in Rome, the end of the known world. But Jesus said it'd be the end of the earth. So in many ways... This is fascinating. Did they make it to the end of the earth? Well, yes and no. So when we end the book of Acts, I mean, flip over there and look at it really quickly. You end the book of Acts, and what do you have? It almost ends without an ending. It's like there's not a, and they live happily ever after. And the world was taken by storm. It is, Paul continues to preach. Paul says, okay, the Jews have rejected it. I'm heading off to the Gentiles, and they will receive it. They will do exactly what Jesus said would happen in chapter 1, verse 8. So in, in all actuality, there really is an Acts 29 and an Acts 30 and 31 and 32, and you and I sit here across a continent 2,000 years later, across oceans, sitting here worshiping Jesus. Why? Because this cultural phenomenon that swept the earth that said we've received the power of the Spirit to go talk to people about Jesus and we can't keep it to ourselves. We got to take this to the end of the earth. Now listen, it's organic and yet it's organized. Like it's amazing how this thing happens. It's how any movement happens, right? It, it, it's a sort of organic move. It's like mouth to mouth word, you know, just, just moving out among the people. But they also think very strategically. And so Paul goes, man, I'm going to go. And you watch Paul. And Paul will go to all of the major urban centers of his day. And what will he do? He'll plant churches. And he'll plant churches, and in that, as he's planting them, some he's like, okay, this is hard work here. I'm in Corinth. This is rough. There's a lot of people i got to gather, and I've got to raise up leaders. So he raised up leaders. He then appoints what are called elders, this group of men. And he says, this group, you're going to lead the charge here, and some are going to preach, and some are going to, you're going to shepherd. You're going to watch over the flock. This is what you're going to do. This is your job. So you'll see in Acts, I think it's 19, where he leaves Ephesus after pouring two years into, into the people of Ephesus. There's weeping. We don't want you to go, Paul. Paul says, no, I've got to go plant more churches. i got to go raise up more elders. we got to get this word out of here. And this is how it's spread to the end of the earth. Not because of just Paul. Because Paul went and got another leader who got another leader who got another leader. And pretty soon it crossed oceans and it crossed states and it came out here and it found us. And here we are. See, Luke would say to us, here's what you need. Here's, it won't be done without this, without the power of the Holy Spirit witnessing to Jesus to the end of the earth. That's the passion. That's the drive. Now listen, here's what's interesting. 
If you look at every, let's call them gospel-centered, Jesus-centered revival that has ever happened in human history since then, you could say the same three things were there. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They witnessed to Jesus, and they couldn't keep it themselves, and they took it out to the end of the earth. At Foothill Church, here's the thing. If we want to see God do something in our church, among us, in our families, there will be no difference. It'll be because we're empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses to Jesus to the end of the earth. So let me take the time we have remaining, and I want to sort of land this among us and show you kind of how I think this is going to play itself out in some ways. See, we cannot, I hope you understand. I'm not saying, hey, do these three things and you'll have a revival. You can't program a revival. That's a work of the Spirit. The the wind of the Spirit blows wherever He wants, right? And I can't contain it. I can't stop it. I can't start it. But, 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 let me say this. There are things we can, we should do to make room for it. So how are we going to make room for this? How do we make room for the Spirit to come? How do we make room to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, to, to, to do all these things? Well, let, let, me, let me give you a few things. Number one, we can pray more. Now, let me, let me flesh this out. We, we, last year, we started this thing where we would meet on the last Wednesday night of every single month, and we would gather in here in this room, and we'd pray for about an hour and a half. And, and if you've been there, if, if you've been to one of those prayer meetings, I mean, they have become sort of increasingly powerful the longer we've gone on. These are amazing times in God's presence. But we recognize that there is no such thing as the power of the Holy Spirit apart from prayer. It doesn't happen. The early church, right, the Spirit descended in a prayer meeting. The early church was started in a prayer meeting. There's all these things. You're going to see them praying in prayer meetings and the things that God does. Peter's released from jail because of a prayer meeting. All these kind of things going on because of prayer. So we need to pray. And so one of the things we want to do and we've recognized is that that by having it on the last Wednesday night, it makes it more difficult for some of you to come to. You work. I get it. The 210's terrible. I mean, we could go on and on about traffic and how awful it is. So what we're going to do is once a month on the last Sunday night of the month, we're going to have our prayer meeting. We're going to try this. Because our goal, we know that there's less school activities. There's less tests the next day. There's less of a a lot of things like that happen. So in general, the weekends, Sunday nights are easier to get around and not as much stuff happening the next day. And so we're going to start them at 5. They'll end at 6.30. And this gives you a chance. If you're like in your growth group, you guys want to go hang out afterwards, you got time. You got little children. You can still bring them because most, you know, are getting their kids to bed by 7, 7.30. You still got time. The goal is simply to free up so that we, listen, one of the things we're praying as a staff, this isn't just about numbers, we're praying. God, I pray that prayer so takes hold among us that we can't fit at Grand Avenue anymore. There's just too much desire. Like, we got them pushing out the doors, whatever. we got to go to a bigger slot in order for us to accomplish what you've called us to do because people are hungry for the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives and the life of this church. And so we're going to change our service time to be at the, uh, the last Sunday night of this month is when we'll start, and we'll meet together and we'll call on God and pray. And I would encourage you, man, set those times. Get them on your calendar right now. Every last Sunday of the month, save December, we're going to meet and we're going to pray together, okay? 
While we're talking about service time changes, let me, let me talk about something else we're going to do. Uh, we're actually going to change our Sunday service times, okay? Now, bear with me. Don't stone me yet. Um, <laughs> I was talking to one of our senior saints who's been in this church for over 50 years, and she's like, Pastor Chris, when you came, we had had the same service time for 40 years. You've been here for 10 years. We've changed it 25 times. What is happening? <laughs> She was wonderful. She wasn't angry. Um, here's what we're going to do. So I'll, let me just sort of explain it, and I'll, I'll tell you what it is, and we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll explain it. We're, we're going to go, starting the first Sunday in February, we're going to go to 9, 10, and 11. Now, here's what we're, gonna, here's what we're thinking. Um, we're going to go to 9, 10, and 11, and every one of those services, um, if I'm preaching, I will be preaching live in all of those services. And here's why. So many of you, like over at Baseline, hello, and you're watching me via live stream right now. And one of the reasons we started live streaming between, there was a, there was a capacity thing going on there, but there was also uh, our desire. We were, we were like, okay, we prayed about this, we thought about this, and we sensed, God, you want to expand. You want to do more, not just about Foothill Church, but you want the gospel to get out, okay? So we're going to put technology in place that allows us to go to what would be called multi-site ministry, where there could be, let's say, a Foothill Church in, in Pasadena or Claremont or whatever, and, and the longer, we've now been doing this for about a year, and let me just say it this way, it's one of those things where the longer we've done it, the longer we've gone through this, the more uneasy we've become about it. So that now we're at a place where we're saying, we're going we're gonna to sort of walk back from that and say, we don't want to do that ecclesiologically, the way we do church and thinking about that. We've, we've sort of had to challenge our own assumptions and things, and we simply don't want to dig in our heels and say, you know what, hey, we made a decision, we've got to stick with it. No, we want to do like Paul and those guys go, I mean, we made a decision, and God knows our decision was to try and reach more people. Our, God knows that we wanted to do was get out there and have more people hear the gospel. And yet there's something that we just kind of go, this isn't the right fit for us. And part of that that's weighed into that is that we've, we've, heard, we've heard comments, and you guys are all very gracious. You're unbelievable how much you've flexed. Listen, if you know anything about Foothill Church, you know the constant here is change, right? So we change all the time. But listen to me. One of the things um, that we heard was this. We heard, I, I would hear, like, people would walk with me and say, hey, uh, or they'd text me or they'd send me an email. Can you let me know where you're preaching this weekend? Because... <laughs> I've got friends who are coming, and I want to make sure they get a live preacher. Like, I get that. Okay, right, okay. And, or we'd hear it maybe in a little more negative, like it's hard for me to invite people because I don't know where the live preacher is going to be. Well, listen, I want you to hear our heart. If, if our decision a year ago has made it harder for you to invite one person, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. And so we want to go, man, we, we, want, we want to reach more people, not less people. We want to see you feel the comfort level to go, man, I can invite them. They're going to see, you know, and, and we believe in that, right? There's something about having somebody live in front of you that, that, that sort of what the Spirit of God is doing in a live setting, I think, is a very real thing. And so, man, we want to lean into that and, and realize that's something we got to do. But then the other thing is that we, we also realize that, that um, 
when we went from, some of you know, we used to have 8, 9, 10, 11, right? And so we're doing 9, 10, 11. We're still leaving open the option if it grows and we get to a fuller capacity, certainly at Easter. But uh, in normal times, we'll, we'll add that 8, but it'll be 9 and 11 at baseline. It'll be 10 o'clock right here at Grand Avenue. But, but what happened when we stopped doing 8, 9, 10, 11 was that it pulled away really kind of two legitimate options from some of you. Like some of you, like 10 o'clock was your sweet spot. And so you were like, you know, this is, this is, this is where I went, and, and, and that, that, that was taken away. So it's been a little more difficult. So by adding three, we're really giving three legitimate time options for you one. If, you're still, if you love the 9-11 where you are right now, it's happening at Graceland. Baseline, if you, if, <laughs> Graceland. Uh, <laughs> Elvis is dead. Uh, and, and, if it's, and if it's if it's 10 o'clock you want, then, then that's here. And then eventually we may, we may start another service uh, let's say in the fall or something like that, but we don't know. That's all dependent upon growth, okay? And so those are, the, the, there are a couple of changes. We're just kind of sort of restructuring service times because we're trying to, again, we, we really do want to reach more people. We want to help you as you seek to reach more people. The third thing is we look and say, man, we want to line ourselves up with, the, with kind of the book of Acts and what's happening is, is we want to, we're, we're now moving, and I'm so excited about this. We're, we're now moving to a biblical model of eldership. So if you don't know anything about the structure of Foothill Church, right, we come out of a background where the pastor, the lead pastor myself, is, uh, you know, you are the sole elder, you are the senior guy, you are the president, you are the CEO, you're the grand poobah, you're whatever, right? You're, you're, you're it. And that's dangerous. And, and, I, and that's not biblical, and so it's been, uh, it's been a, our heart for years now to sort of get to a place where we can do this. Well, I'm happy to tell you, and I'll, I'm going to introduce them to you by God's grace in a few weeks, our first slate of elders, and then that's not going to stop it. We're going to sort of keep the process going and raising up more elders to come in and continue to be trained. But we're going we're to install our first elders by God's grace at the end of February. Now, covenant partners, hear me just really quickly. That means we have to revise our constitution and bylaws, and so you're going to be getting those revised bylaws this week. Take a look at them, look them over, but this, listen, if they're not approved, we can't do biblical eldership, so I'm, I'm really confident you're going to do the right thing here, but in any event, um, we're going to send those to you, look them over, and by the way, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, whatever, please email the church office or call us. We want to sit down with you. We're happy, happy to discuss any of that with you, but you'll be getting those, okay? We will vote on those bylaws on the 4th of February. Or, uh, 4th of February. On the 11th, I'm going to introduce the new elders. The congregation is going to have about two weeks to pick them off and say they're not biblically qualified, and I can tell you why. I'm not saying, you know, oh, Shane Marks didn't, you know, I don't like the tight pants that he wears, and so... <laughs> He can't, be a, uh, he can't be an elder. Um, that's not a biblical disqualification, okay? Uh, if you can tell me why, why Shane is not a good husband or father or whatever, then, then, uh, then Shane will not be an elder, right? But that's, that's, that's what we're after. Um, we, we want you to see them. We want you to have a chance to speak into that. And then we affirm them. We will lay hands on them and commission them on the last Sunday in February. And I am so excited about that. But now, let me give you one last thing. We're going to do more outreach and more church planting than we've ever done. Now, let me, let me explain to you. Some of you know that we've now linked arms with this group called Acts 29, and Acts 29 is a, a, a movement of churches that plant other churches. And so 
uh, we sort of set our face that we're going to do this. And so we've now, we've now partnered with them. We are an Acts 29 sort of recognized church. And we've, we've even, some of you recall, back in September, we started a campaign that we called To the End of the Earth. And it was, we had the envelopes on the wall, and you went and grabbed an envelope, and we raised a bunch of money. And here was the goal. Just so, I mean, I think we said this at the very beginning. The goal was to raise $245,000. So many of you were incredibly generous. It was amazing to see how God sort of met us in that. And at the end, at the end of October, we sort of shut the campaign down, said, man, you can keep giving your pledges and all that, which is what Michelle and I did uh, to sort of make our, what we said we would do. And, uh, and we brought in somewhere around, um, around $115,000. So short of our goal, but man, praise God, we brought in $150,000. There's a lot we could do. We're saying, God, okay, so now what do you want us to do? So we've, we've partnered with Acts 29 in Ireland, and we're now going to give them the, the money they need for all the infrastructure to begin planting in what used to be a really bright jewel of the gospel has now become a dark continent, and we want to be a part of seeing the gospel revitalized there. But let me tell you something amazing that happened at the end of last year. Uh, right about the last week, um, I got a text from John White, one of our pastors here, um, and said, Chris, I'm going to tell you something. There is an anonymous donor, and I, I, I'm telling you the truth. I have no idea who this person is. If you can hear my voice right now, I want to say publicly thank you. This donor wrote us a check for over $125,000. You can clap. So when the, so when the dust settled on that, at the end of the year, we had not 245000 We had 250000 In fact, from all the giving that we brought in last year, we brought in over $300,000 to give away to give away. Now listen, church, do you think God wants us to plant churches? So here's our goal. We have set a ridiculous goal of planting our first church out of Foothill Church, not just giving money to Acts 29 and doing that, but out of Foothill Church by this time next year. I'm going to tell you, that is humanly impossible. That requires we find the man that requires we find the people to go with that man, and that requires we find a place. I don't know how we're going to do this. But I didn't know how we were going to get 245 and we got 250. And God is not constrained by things that seem impossible to us. Amen? And so we're going to pray to that end. This is going to be one of our prayers. Oh, God, right? Right? We think we have, we think we've, we've got a guy or two that, that, that is the possibility for this happening, and we'll be keeping you informed of that. But man, this is our prayer, that we will become a church that's planting more churches, that's planting more churches, that's planting more churches so we can take the gospel to the end of the earth. I want to be a church. I want us to be a church. I hope you want to be a church that is empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses to Jesus. to the end of the earth. Let's pray to that end.